You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, we've got my new friend, Ben Kirksey. He's with an organization called Work Matters, and here's why we invited Ben on the podcast today. So way back in season two, Robert and I were recording episodes of The Better Man Podcast, and we had a series of episodes where we were going over the results of the Barna study that was done in conjunction with Better Man. One of those episodes that we recorded going over that Barna study was something called, I believe it was called A Man and His Work. And of all the episodes we recorded where we were discussing the results of that Barna study, that one on a man and his work popped. It received more downloads than any of the others. And I remember Robert and I taking a look at that and just going, all right, that's interesting. That's something we need to take note of. Maybe that's a topic that we should address more often here on the podcast, which now when we think about it makes total sense because work is where we spend so much of our time. And I think there's a lot of men out there like me that are looking for content that will help them integrate their faith and their work. And that's exactly what Ben and the team at Work Matters does. They are trying to bridge that gap that so often exists between work and faith. They want the church to know that their work matters to God, not just ministry activity at work, but the work itself. And so I love this message, and I don't think we can talk about it enough here on the Better Man podcast. So with all that being said, I think you're really going to enjoy getting to know Ben, hearing more about what Work Matters does, and find this conversation very helpful and hopeful. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and just get to my conversation with Ben Kirksey. Ben, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Good to have you here today. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. Excited to be part of it. Yeah. So why don't we just start with this? Why was Work Matters founded over 16 years ago? You want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean... So Work Matters was was started, actually, it was started in a church, uh, Central United Methodist Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas, in about 2002, you know, so so closer to 20 years ago. And I mean, from the beginning, like the very simple reason was just to help people connect to disconnected worlds, you know, to bridge the gap between their faith and their work. And the original founder was was a pastor at, at Central, and he had a former life as an advertising executive. So he had, you know, he came into the ministry with a very real sense of, you know, kind of the challenges of what it looks like to follow Jesus in your, in your nine to five. And um, so when that was launched, uh, gosh, it, in the first 12 months, I mean, it was, it, it just took off, you know, kind of at the early 2000s, the early end of what we would say is kind of this modern faith at work movement. And after about a year, they noticed that over well over half of the folks that were coming were actually from people from other congregations. Really? And, and so they, they decided to spin the ministry out as its own interdenominational nonprofit. And um, our current CEO, David Roth, he was a, a marketing executive at J.B. Hunt at the time and just felt the Lord's call to, to leave that role and found the nonprofit Work Matters um, 18 years ago. But from day one, I mean, our our purpose for starting, the purpose for launching out, and then, you know, our purpose continues to be to help people close the gap between faith and work. And, you know, however that's looked through events or small group resources or our institute or whatever, you know, kind of our ministry philosophy is that we want to equip Christians in the workplace to do that. 
There you go. So what is the the main core means for doing that? Is it this, uh, the Institute? Is it the online classes? Is it other resources that you make available for churches? What, what's the core? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's changed over the years, as you might, might imagine. Um, and that started mainly with a small group and an event focus and pretty local to Northwest Arkansas. Um, but about eight years ago, we, we just you know, really took a much more intentional approach in writing small group content and in creating training programs like the Institute, um, writing devotionals that could just be accessed, you know, really all over the world. Yeah. Um, but I, up until about last year, you know, I don't know that I would say there's one core way that we do it. You know, I'd say, hey, we've got an annual conference and that convenes faith and business leaders and is streamed everywhere. You know, we have small group and devotional content on the Uversion platform, and um, and we have our our Work Matters Institute program, which is a a one year program for young professionals, and at the time in Northwest Arkansas and Little Rock. But during COVID, um, I mean, like every organization, you know, we had to we had to sort of rethink how do we how do we deliver on the mission in this environment. Yeah. And, and for us that, I mean, we pivoted most of our programs, but it also caused us to think, what does it look like to really help people close the gap between faith and work? How can we do that most effectively in this next season? And so for about the past year, we, we have been working through, how do we make the Institute really the centerpiece of what we do? How do we make that our, our core program and really scale that program? Because of anything that, that, that we've, that we've done over the years, that, that has been where like, that has been the mechanism God has used to really transform the life trajectory of people, mm. um, and really make them on mission and work. So, and this is uh, people that can join that from all around the country. I mean, it doesn't just, it, as you said, it's not just geographically located now in Northwest Arkansas, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we're progressively, you know, sort of testing and learning our way to, to a scalable Institute, but, but right now we have, we have what we're calling our, our 12 month program. And that's, that's primarily in, in Arkansas, um, between Northwest Arkansas and Little Rock. And, and that's 12 weeks of class, nine months of mentorship. Um, but this fall we've rolled out an eight week fully digital program. Um, and that is, that's a, that's a eight classes once a week. And, and in this first cohort, we have about 40 participants across nine States. And so, wow. You know, we really see that as something that that can that a lot more people in other areas would find um, would find value in and, and, and be able to kind of have that that level of training experience. Yeah, I like that. OK, so one of the classes that you guys do offer online is this uh, what you call this work in faith 101. Mm-hmm. And that course starts with this idea that your work matters to God. Yeah. Uh, and so why, why do you start there? Why, why do you start trying to help, you know, reiterate that principle? Yeah, I, I mean, it is a starting place, right? Like, I, and I think for us, in, in, you know, we certainly feel this ourselves, and I think we see this in the in the people that we that we have gotten to know and talk to, and that are out in the arena, so to speak. I mean, we all want our life to matter. Mm. Like, it, at some level, I don't think there's a person on earth who doesn't want their life to matter. You know, to have purpose, and if you if you follow Jesus, like you need to know that where you spend the majority of your time and energy uh, matters to him, yeah. you know, or, or otherwise you're, you're really just sort of setting yourself up to lead two very different and disconnected lives. And, That's good. 
you know, and, and one where the overwhelming majority of your time and talent is, um, you know, disconnected from, from God. So like when you know your work matters to God, I think it confers just a basic level of dignity and purpose. And it doesn't answer all the questions of how your work matters yeah. to God, yeah, but, good. but at least, but at least it helps begin to resolve that tension between, you know, what I'm good at and care about and what God is pleased with and cares about. I think, you know, there's a lot more layers to kind of go into that of, of how, you know, kind of where we, you know, get that statement that your yeah. work matters to God. But, but I think, you know, we start there because, you know, we need to resolve that fundamental tension and, yep. and, and as people like we need to know that our lives matter. We spend the majority of our creative time, talent, energy in the workplace. And knowing that our work matters to God helps us live out of one storyline. It does. Yeah. And, you know, so I became a follower of Jesus in college right around my 21st birthday. And there's a few like basic core truths in this faith journey that I've been on that I really remember being quite transformative. Obviously, the idea mm-hmm. of salvation by grace, you know, through Jesus, that that yeah. was like, whoa, eye-opening. Uh, the idea of stewardship, that God owns everything and I'm a steward of it all. I don't own yeah. anything. I steward it. The other one, another one, though, is this idea that my work matters to God was so mind-blowing to me as a young Christian because it, there was just this sacred secular divide. Oh, I'm just an accountant right now and yeah. all the real faithful people are over there on the mission field or they're on church staff. Is that the reaction you get a lot of times when you do teach this principle to others? Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, and it depends on your faith background. It depends yeah. where, where, you know, where you've, where you've grown up and kind of how you came to follow the Lord. But yeah, I, I think that, um, I think that for a lot of people, um, you know, that they, they sort of kind of are acculturated in the faith to think like, Hey, the A team are the two or 3% of Christians that are going into full-time vocational ministry or going overseas, you know, and the B team is the 97, 98% of us that, you know, are sort of working the regular jobs. And, um, you know, and and I think for some there's, you know, that can, they might have like some, some self-loathing about that, you know? Yeah. And for others, it's like, it's just this real tension because they're like, well, gosh, I like what I do. And, I I'm good at it, you know, and I, and part of why I like it is because I think it's really helping my, you know, employees or community or whatever. And so, yeah, I think, I think there's definitely that, that divide. Hey, one thing I wanted to say though, you just, you shared those, those two kind of seminal moments for you about, you know, grace through faith and stewardship. And when you think about those two principles, like those are, I mean, those set up the faith and work conversation so well. I really do. I mean, think about Ephesians two, eight and nine, like that classic, grace through faith verse. Yeah. Well, Ephesians 2.10 says, for you are God's worksmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. And I mean, you just like think logically about that. How many, first of all, you're God's worksmanship. He has designed you in a very specific and intentional way. And it just doesn't make sense that the God of the universe would would create you in such a way that your gifts and talents and you come alive when you're doing mm-hmm. something that looks like work and that not be matched up somehow to these good works that he's prepared for you to do. That's right. So anyway, that just I love that verse. It it, it animates a lot of what we think about. And so I just wanted to kind of key in on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. So um 
what, you know, you talk about this gap, trying to bridge this gap between, you know, integrating your work and your faith that oftentimes those in the life of a Christian are not integrated. What, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions people have about work-faith integration? Sure. I think that there's probably more than, than what I'll share, but there are a couple that, that come to mind. Um, you know, the first one, and I think this is particularly true now, just as, as we, you know, a lot, a lot of folks kind of are wrestling with new cultural, cultural norms and things like that. But I think for a lot of us, we just don't know what the rules are, Hmm. you know? And, and so there's this misconception that says, well, I, I can't, I can't do it. Like I can't be my authentic self at work or I can't integrate my faith in work or I don't really know what's, what's taboo or what's in bounds or out of bounds. And, and so the misconception is I can't do it, but what's really at the root of that is I think that we just don't know what the rules are, um, socially by, you know, company, whatever. And then, um, you know, a second, uh, I think a second misconception and, and, and this would be the bigger one in my mind and, and a lot of what we're trying to course correct is that faith and work is just reduced to ministry activity at work. Mm. So in other words, you know, God cares about my work, but only insofar as I'm able to have spiritual conversations or lead a Bible study or have a prayer group or whatever in the workplace. And those things are important. But that's a half story. I mean, at the same, if if that's if 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 that's your mindset that God only cares about spiritual activity you're able to do at work, then you're really still operating out of this out of this posture that says God doesn't really care about the eight hours a day that I'm spending doing the things that He has kind of created me to do. He just cares about that one hour I'm able to to lead a lunchtime Bible study. Yeah. Um, and, and and so that's, you know, there are other misconceptions, I'm sure, but those are probably the two most fundamental ones that we traffic in. Yeah. Let's talk about that evangelism one, because again, when I graduated from college, was hired by a big accounting firm in Atlanta, and I'm starting to work there. And I definitely had that divide, right? I thought, all right, I have this job, this J-O-B, this pays the bills, but the real work that God really smiles on is when I'm out of town with a coworker and we're sitting over our third meal of the day and I can talk about my faith or uh, I've developed a friendship with somebody and they're going through a hard time and they come to me and ask for some counsel or prayer and I'm able to mm-hmm. care for them. Mm-hmm. Those were the days I would drive home going, all right, God, you really used me almost completely ignoring what I was hired to do. <laughs> you know, uh, So I might, I know might have been an extreme case there, but I think I was, I'd felt fallen victim to that. I, I thought that it was really just reduced to ministry activity. Um, right, right. And so what, how do you help people start to understand it's more than, than just that, than just the ministry activity? I mean, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Ministry activity, when God presents those opportunities, take advantage of them, right? That's great. But it is yeah. more than that. H- how do you navigate that conversation with people? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, um, and it's a, a, totally, a totally, common, um, totally common mindset. Yeah. So, it, and obviously, like this looks different, you know, in, in, depending on what we have the opportunity to to do. But I'll just tell you kind of how we approach it in in the Institute, because that's really probably our our most, you know, thoughtful or 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 formal way. And that's just starting with the full story of God. Hmm. Just starting with what what is this full gospel story? And it's not just 
I'm broken and bad and Jesus has saved me. Mm. You know, if that's it, then I've got to fill in the gaps of what, where I fell from and what I'm saved to. But if the full story is one that, you know, of creation, of fall, redemption and restoration, then all of a sudden I've got some context to, to begin to see that, hey, in, in creation, you know, God, God worked, God formed me in his image and tasked me to, to have dominion over and steward and cultivate his creation to take it somewhere. And that looks like work, you know, so there's inherent dignity just in the work itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if I, if I look at the other bookend of restoration, then I think, then I see, okay, like, yes, Jesus has saved me, but he saved me to something. And, you know, me following him, um, is, is going to express itself in a lot of different ways. And some of that is going to be, um, relational and interpersonal. Um, but a lot of that is going to be how I completely reoriented my life and thinking into being part of the answer to his prayer of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, so what does life and culture look like when Jesus is king? I mean, if I ask that question as an accountant, then that affects the way that I think about how I serve my clients. That affects the way about maybe what clients I take on. Mm-hmm. That affects the way that I think about how I how I lobby for or don't lobby or lobby against certain regulations or policies. Um, I, I mean, it, it just affects the the work itself in so many different ways. And so that's that's where we start is is kind of this full gospel, what we call the four chapter gospel storyline. And I think that that gives people permission to think a little bit more expansively about how God actually uses the work itself to bring glory to him and to serve a human need and to bend teams, communities, industries toward his kingdom. Yeah. And it does. And I like the word dignity. And uh, you also could maybe like a weightiness or an importance to mm-hmm. what we do that and I and it really is so fun to have conversations with men and women who are following Jesus and help them see this connection between yeah, that their yeah. work does matter because it it's sudden it's almost like a um a physical re- like this re- uh, release of pressure it's like right oh all this stuff does matter which I think at the heart of that is so I'm not wasting my life like God God cares about this too and there it really is fun to watch people connect those dots isn't it yeah exactly Exactly. Yeah. So it, we did mention that, um, you know, sometimes ministry opportunities or ministry activity does present itself in the workplace. So you may have an opportunity to pray for somebody or counsel somebody, or, um, you know, you may have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And so it really does bring up some of what you alluded to earlier with, you know, what are the rules? Am I allowed to let people know that I'm a Christian right now? And so, you know, we obviously lived in a very politically correct kind of cancel culture uh, right now. How do you see that impacting followers of Jesus in the workplace? Oh, man, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you could just answer that real quick for everybody, that, that'd be great, Ben. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, that, that is a big question. Um, I, if I could, though, I, I, can, I, can I tag on to something that you just Yeah, absolutely. To, yeah. I mean, God, God calls us to be a witness right but but being a witness is not just have i shared the gospel have i worked through this particular track i mean we're a character witness every single day right it, with everything that we do we're pointing to 
we are pointing to Jesus simply by our by our character and the way that we go about navigating conflict and doing our work and serving people and all of those things. Um, and sometimes we get to be an eyewitness and we get to earn the right to have a conversation and and say, you know, hey, yeah, this is this is what Jesus has done for me. I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is this is the why behind what it is that you're experiencing in me. So I don't want to, you know, when we talk about like just the, the kind of the bigger opportunity and the work itself mattering, I don't, I definitely don't want that to take us off the hook that, I mean, we're, we're a witness all the time and yeah, God that's just really good. presents, you know, God just calls us to the stand, so to speak, um, to play a different role in different, in different ways. But, and I think honestly, that, that may lead in well to just, just some thoughts on this kind of politically correct or cancel culture. Um, because, because it is, I think for a lot of people, it is, it is at minimum a more uncomfortable or confusing environment. Um, you know, what can I say? What can I not say? Uh, you know, I want to love all people well, but what do I really think about this decision or this policy or, or this, that, or the other? Um, you know, I, it, it just, I think that at minimum it's confusing. Um, and then if you're just used to a, you know, certain kind of culturally Christian norm, it's pretty destabilizing too. So, um, but I think it's important to say like, you know, you're in Dallas, right? Yep. Yep. And, and I'm in Northwest Arkansas, um, which are two fairly conservative places still. And I don't mean that like red state conservative. I just mean like, you know, we're not in New York, we're not in Portland, we're not in London. And I think that if you've been, if you've been a, a, a Christian in those places, then this is not new news. You know, you have, you've, you've been, you know, sort of having to adapt and really, you know, really think about how your faith expresses itself in love, um, in this environment, um, for some time versus if you're here or Dallas or Birmingham or wherever. But, I think, um, Adam, that that we have to first of all have what um, what the Bible would call an exilic mindset. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you think about in the Old Testament, um, you know, Israel had kind of gone through these cycles of following God, not following God, and, and and God had you know continued to say through His prophets, like like, hey, if you continue to turn from me, it's going to go bad. <laughs> And it did, right? So, so they were ultimately overtaken by Assyria, and then and then Babylon and, and Persia. But, but that period if, is is called exile. And so, when you get books like Jeremiah, um, you know, was was written to a people in exile. Uh, the Book of Daniel is about a, a prophet, you know, in exile. Yeah, and. And I think that for a lot of us that are used to a cultural Christianity, we're used to more of a Jerusalem mindset where it's like, hey, kind of these social Christian norms are are the law of the land. And that's just not the law of the land anymore. And so we have to ask the question, okay, what does it look like to really flourish in an, with, with that exilic mindset? So that's that's kind of the first place that I would go. And, um, and I would look at uh, – I, I would look at Daniel. I mean, you know, when you, when you look at the book of Daniel and the first seven chapters, the seven second few chapters are, 
little harder yeah. to understand. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but when you're just looking at his, you know, look at the clear chapters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you're, when you're looking at his biography, essentially, um, I mean, there are a couple of things that, that really stand out and about what it looks like to flourish in a land that's, that's really not your own. Mm. And, you know, so he was very clear. He was, you know, with him personally, what are the things in this culture that are going to defile my heart? And so, you know, in Daniel one, it talks about how, um, uh, that was, that was food for him, you know, that, and there was a very like direct relationship between the, you know, the faithful practices to, to his God and, and the food. Um, but he, there were also a lot of things that he did that were not, um, you know, fully, fully in line with kind of the, the, the normal, you know, Jewish practices, things he had to do and learn and execute in the position that he held. But he was really clear on, Hey, what's going to defile my heart. And, and he abstained from that. And so I think that for us to have an exilic mindset and this kind of politically correct cancel culture, like we have to be clear, first of all, with, you know, for me personally, God, what's going to defile my heart. And, and I need to fast from that. And the second thing is that he had community, um, you know, and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, I mean, they were willing to be tossed in the furnace before they would bow before, before the King is Lord. And I mean, these were the guys that Daniel was with in his life in Babylon. And so, you know, how do we flourish well in this, in kind of in this environment? I think we got to have our, you know, have, have our community, um, and then third, you know, this is probably the, the story that most people would know if they're familiar with Daniel is Daniel the lion's den. And um, when he was thrown into the lion's den for breaking the law by praying, it says in, 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 in the scripture, as was his custom. And at this point in time, he has been in Babylon for probably 60 years. Hmm. And so what you're inferring from that is that every day, three times a day, he opened his window toward Jerusalem and recommitted to himself and with God to say, you know what? Like, this is not my home. I'm facing, I'm facing my home in, in, in Jerusalem, but where I am now in Babylon, this is not my home. This is not my, my identity. And so for us, I, I think that, you know, just to kind of tie a bow on that, on this whole question about how do we live well within you know, kind of a politically correct or cancel culture, we're going to be uncomfortable and destabilized if we, if we haven't already learned to adapt. But I think we have to have that exilic mindset as a perspective. And then when you look at Daniel, we're really clear on, on where we as individuals need to abstain. We seek out strong community. And then we have uh, daily are just reminding ourselves of, of, of whose we are and where identity comes from. And I think that, that when those things are in place, I think that God's spirit can, you know, can lead us into how to, how to be wise and winsome and, you know, and, and effective in a, in a, in a changing world. That's an excellent answer, Ben. I I really like that. I, you know, where I thought you were going to go with Daniel was more of just the way he interacted with the authority on uh, not demanding that he didn't have to eat the food, being respectful in the way he asked for it, asking yeah. for, hey, let's do this for a period of time and then judge. 
which those are also some things we can glean in this culture. But I, sure. I like your three right there. That is fantastic. The, the defiling, the community, and the and the remembering where our home is, and and daily abiding with the Lord. Well, because and you're right; those things are important. But I think that I, I don't know that those are those are more outflows of what's going on at a heart level. Yeah. And I think for us, we have to we can't confuse. Um, you know, like the the activities or what is or isn't allowed with what's going on at a heart level. If we're gonna if we're gonna be good discerners of culture, we have to be really clear in our own hearts. Mm. And um, but but you know, you make a point. Daniel was willing to sacrifice the job. I, I mean, and I think that for a lot of us, like we have to be honest with the fact that we might not we we may face a choice where we have to sacrifice a promotion or reputation or a job or, or whatever. And now it worked out for Daniel. He had incredible influence. Um, but, but that's not, that's not guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. Let's change gears here a little bit. What would you say to the man who is listening and feels like he's the only Christian in his organization right now and feels a little helpless, you know, sitting there going, Hey, I get it. Like, this is really helpful. My work does matter. I'm going to try to do my work with excellence. I would love to have some ministry activity, but nobody's going to listen to me. I'm alone over here. What would you say to that man? Yeah. Oh, and, and that's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, especially now, you know, I mean, things have opened up and it depends where you are and to what degree, but yeah, gosh, I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of us that feel that way. Um, well, you know, and even maybe they listen to my answer about the culture and Daniel and having his buddies and they might say, well, that's great, Ben, but yeah, I feel, you know, I don't have Shadrach in my office down the hall. You know, what am I going to do? <laughs> um, I, I've, I've got a couple thoughts on that. I, you know, first I would say, um, first I would say we're never alone. Hmm. Like we're just not. I mean, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been invited into a, this relationship with, with God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that is not just somewhere out there, but is like actually in you. Hmm. Um, you, you are always in God's presence. And, and I think that we undervalue that. Um, I know I do. And, and I think yeah. that, so I think that I would just, man, we've, we've got to remember that we are, we, we, are always in the presence of God and, and sort of the essence of what it means to be in his presence and and to be connected is to, is to abide. Hmm. Um, but I would say, uh, from a practical standpoint and and this, you know, I hope this doesn't sound like kind of the trite Christian answer, but I, I would just ask God to bring you community. Um, chances are it's already there. You know, I, I think about, uh, I think about the story of Elijah and, you know, for, for the folks that are listening, I, I just went back and reread this the other day, but this first Kings 16 through 19 is just a crazy story. Number one. So it's just a really fun read, but part of what happens is Elijah is like, he's at the end of his rope and he is like, God, I've been faithful. I've done everything you asked. I'm the only one left and they're going to kill me. So why mm. don't you just go ahead and do it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I don't know that. I don't know that the person who feels alone at work comes home like they're, not, feeling, they're maybe not at that point. Just take alone. me out now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But but God does something beautiful. You know, he he actually I mean, he inner like his his he he talks to Elijah directly 
in a gentle whisper and he affirms him. And then he says, he gives him a new assignment to go and, you know, anoint sort of his successor. But he also says that there are still 7,000 people who are faithful to me. Mm. And I just think, and, and I'll, you know, go back and reread that section. You'll see that I don't know how crazy your workplace is. There's, it's probably not as bad as it was, you know, in first Kings 16 through yes. 19. Yes. Um, but that tells me that like God opened my eyes to who, to who is around me that, that is, that is faithful because, because they're there, they're, pro- you know, and maybe not in my floor, maybe not in my department. Um, but somewhere close to me, I'm like, I, I just know that that's true. So I think that, you know, those are, those are the two things. One is just a reminder, Hey, we're, we're never alone. And, and, and being in God's presence counts for an enormous deal. And then second is let's just, just ask God to open the eyes of, you know, where we are. Yeah. I like that. Uh, let's talk to the younger man, right? Just maybe graduated in the last three or four years, starting off, wants to be faithful at work. Yeah. If there was something very specific for the younger man that's listening that you would say, hey, I would focus on these two or three things or maybe one or two things early in your career, what, what would you say? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you three. Um, so it, in our organization, we use something called the, the seven pillars of faith and work. Okay. And all that is, is it's just, it's just seven very practical lenses to really, you know, think, okay, how do I, how do I live like Jesus? We talked about the character witness earlier. You know, how do I, how do I do that in, in the actual world of my work? Um, so there are a couple of those that I, I would just call out, you know, for, for the younger person. Um, and first is love. Hmm. So you know, G- Jesus said, Hey, everything, all the law, all the prophets, like basically everything in the way that I've created you to be hangs on loving God and loving others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of places where that's kind of spelled out, but I think in first Corinthians 13, where Paul says, love is patience, kindness, dedicated to the truth, etc." So I think for the person starting out all the way up to the, to the person on their final day, you know, we need to go into the workplace thinking, what does it look like to demonstrate patience and kindness? And how can I be dedicated to the truth and really ensure that, um, that we're honest about, you know, maybe what's working and what's not working or performance or whatever the case may be. And so I think that those love behaviors um, can can have a huge impact on how we interact with people, on how we navigate conflict, on on really how how we do how we do good work. But for the younger person in particular, remembering that love is patient um, can help a great deal when you're 23 years old and you're wondering why you haven't been named, you know, CEO yet, or why yeah. your boss just doesn't get it, or when you know when your break is going to come. I mean, you know, those are common questions and I've, I've felt them and remembering that, that love is patience can really help orient your heart, um, in the right way and enable you to just focus on doing good work. And that kind of leads into the second one, which is, which is do excellent work. Um, you know, I, your, whatever our work is, 
whether we're analysts and we're preparing spreadsheets all day for the sales team or whether we are plumbers and we're going house calls and just, you know, cleaning up the stuff um, or, or, or whatever, whatever our work is, our output, the output of our work is always someone else's input, you know? So whether that is, whether that's another team member or whether that is customer facing or, 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 you know, whoever it is, what we do is always impacting somebody else. And, and so when we do our job in an excellent way, you know, number one, it honors the God who gave us the opportunity. You know, it, it just, it's a very, it's a very practical way to say, you know, thank you, God, ultimately you're in control and you gave me this job and I'm going to, I'm going to do an excellent job because I love you and I want to honor you. Hmm. Um, but in a, in a practical way, doing excellent work is just, it serves other people. I mean, it's, it's a very practical way to serve other people. You know, if you, you mentioned that you, you started your career with, a, in an accounting firm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, I, early in my career, I was an analyst as well, more in like a retail sales organization, but it's just easy to get lost in the data and, and you just feel so disconnected from the people that you're serving. But I think if, if you can do, if you can remind yourself that, Hey, when I have, when I do this really well, like when it's mistake free, when there's integrity with the data, when I'm setting maybe offering a recommendation to, you know, to the person who's going to use this, then, you know, number one, it like it impacts them. They feel served. They feel loved. They're going to, they're going to feel, um, they're going, they're going to experience the light of Christ in that, um, whether they know to call it that or not. Um, but number two, it helps them be more effective. And that ultimately is if you're an accountant, that's, that's helping a, a business run better, you know, so that it can serve its customers. Um, and then you can fill in the blank with whatever your job is. But, and those, those are the two that I would say, if you're, if you're just starting out in your early career, um, I mean, you're going to have a ton of experiences. You're going to interact with a ton of people, but if you can go into work every day with a posture of love and particularly like, think, what does it look like to be, to, to demonstrate love as patience? And if you can just focus on doing really excellent work, you know, out of a heart to serve, um, I think you'd be surprised, number one, at what opportunities open up. Um, but number two, I think you'd be surprised at the influence that you're able to generate. So, yeah, yeah, that's really good. I like that answer a lot. Thank you for that. I mean, I, I when I work with young leaders or talk to them, uh, I try to help them avoid the mistake that I made, which was just be a good person, right? It was just, that was my mindset. Just go in and be a nice guy. And that's great. You know, certainly it's nice to work with agreeable people and and nice people. So it's not go in and be a jerk. But uh, the fastest way to gain trust, as you said, is through competence and excellence. And then as a follower of Jesus, you will have a unique opportunity to leverage that influence in a way that is very God honoring. And maybe it may be faster than had you um, done it another way, or maybe faster than some of your peers. And, and it really, it does. And it sounds a little less spiritual, but I think you're exactly right. It is. It's, it's do that excellent work, do that mm-hmm. excellent work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then as we go back to what you just said, uh, fight that idea that it's not spiritual because it is, right? Because God cares about that. Exactly. So by you focusing exactly. on those spreadsheets, by you focusing on the pipes, uh, if you're a plumber, 
that's doing excellent work. That's going to build trust. That's going to give you influence and love people along the way. I really Without like that. Doubt. The stat you threw out earlier about two to three percent in as quote professional Christians uh, mm-hmm. was that. Uh, did you just make that up, or is that is studies show that's about how many people are in kind of full time vocational ministry here in the states? I don't recall the specific the specific study. I was in I was I was at an event um, a couple of years ago, and and it was with a, a group of folks that were um, they they were talking more about sort of a missiology or a missions yeah you know kind of philosophy behind faith and work and and what what he said. And I'm, I'm going to have to go back and figure out what he was citing. But yeah. what he said is that, hey, if, you know, number one, like when you look at the the need for worldwide missionaries, there, there is still a need, like people yep. need to go. Yep. But if we were fully staffed, like if everybody went that should go, you know, on, you know, overseas missions, that would only be about 3% of followers of Jesus. Okay. So <laughs> that's pretty that's a remarkable. I mean, as a as a recovering CPA, I love numbers and they they are my love language. So yeah. I, I really like that. That's pretty remarkable. I've never heard that and it puts a lot of it in perspective. Yeah. So like I said, I'd have to I'd have to go back and figure out like what, what he was specifically citing. Um yeah. but and, and kind of what the math is in terms of like missionary to unreached people group and what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, but yeah. but his point was well made. It was that yeah. It was that, hey, we, we don't need like 60% of Christians to quit their jobs and go into vocational ministry. Yeah. You know. Could you imagine if there's just this mass transplant of Christians all around the world, all the ones in America went over to Europe and all the ones in Europe came over here. Like we'd all be like, well, I guess I should just get a job here now because uh, there'd be yeah, just exactly. this mass transplant. Exactly. And if, and if we were all in professional ministry, you know, what would happen is we'd go to the store to buy groceries and we'd be like, well, where is everything? Yeah. Because nobody's farming and nobody is, you know, processing and nobody's buying and nobody's retailing, nobody's selling, yeah. you know, because we're all yeah. pastors now. Yeah. So I was in an airport last night and it kind of felt like some of those restaurants were still closed. <laughs> Where are the <laughs> workers? But that's another podcast for another day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, talking exactly. about that. Ben, this has been fascinating. I really appreciate your thoughtfulness on this. It's clear that you've thought deeply about this. It's clear that you do some teaching on this. Incredibly helpful. How can people find out more about you and, and Work Matters? Yeah. Um, workmatters.org is, is our website. And, you know, there are a number of resources there. A lot of, most of them, in fact, are, are free. And those range from, you know, short devotional, um, content, um, to inductive Bible studies to, you know, different leadership video series. You referenced one earlier. And if, you know, we mentioned the Institute earlier, and there may be some folks on this call that are listening to the podcast that, um, you know, that, that think they'd really like to take eight weeks and, and just be in a like-minded community that's trying to be at that intersection of spiritual formation, professional development, you know, that's going to be there too. So workmatters.org, um, we're pretty active on, on LinkedIn. Okay. So just about every day we're posting either a short video or maybe a, a inspirational quote or a blog post or referencing somebody else's blog post that we think is, is helpful. Good. Um, so, and you know, and our CEO, David Roth is, is pretty active on LinkedIn as well. So you can connect with him or me there. Um, and then, you know, we, we, we're also posting pretty much daily on, on Instagram as well. So that's great. You know, those would be the, those would be the three ways I'd say. 
All right. Well, Ben, like I said, great conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Better Man podcast today. Yeah, Adam, really enjoyed it. Thanks. Yeah, I said it in the introduction that I love this message about work and faith integration. I remember many of those days driving to my job and just feeling this burden that it was somehow less than because it wasn't full-time ministry or I wasn't uh, heeding this call to go overseas and and be a missionary in some foreign country. And I, I remember very distinctly, as I was talking about with Ben there, how amazed I was when I learned that my work, even as an accountant, that my work mattered to God. It brought so much purpose to the mundane. And as men, work and home are the two places where we are going to spend most of our time. And the culture needs better men, and it starts at home and also at work. And so I'd encourage you to head over to workmatters.org. Take advantage of those free resources. This is an important topic for all followers of Jesus, and it's amazing how much that they've made available for free over there. So go to workmatters.org and check out what they've got. So here at Better Man, we're trying to provide content that's helpful for all men trying to be God's man in today's day and age. If you haven't done so already, also head over to betterman.com. Learn more about the way you can bring our 11-week experience to your church or your community. This episode, along with every episode, has been mixed and edited by the team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we got for today on the Better Man Podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.